Hello and welcome to Book Lovers Companion. My name is Edith and right next to me is my lovely co-host, The Chattering Teacup. Hello. And here with us, Francis Dolerio, poet, teacher and outdoor man. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> Hello and welcome at Book Lovers Companion. You are, I have to, you are our first poet on the show. Oh, great. That's an honor. And you're not only a poet, you're also a teacher. Yes. Yeah, I will have to come back to that as well when we talk about your poems. And your very new book with the title Joy came out this year. Yes, mm -hmm. back in June. Yeah. And it's a collection of poems. But before that, you have published other works of poetry, Art. Can you tell us a little bit about that in our audience? Sure. So uh, in 2015, uh, I released my first collection. It was a full length called If and When We Wake. And it kind of came from my MFA thesis. So it was all about kind of tracking how we process grief. Um, the collection kind of focuses on my grandfather's uh, passing. That was illustrated by Frightened Rabbit's Scott Hutchison, who is a musician from Scotland and a brilliant illustrator. After that, I started writing Joy, but it kept getting pushed aside for other stuff. So in, I guess it was 18, I had a short collection come out called Please Plant This Book, also with Scott. And that was a remake of a Richard Browdigan collection from the 1960s. For its 50th anniversary, we released it to raise money for suicide prevention. And then, yeah, after that, I released a book with a friend of mine named Nick Gregorio that is a split book of covers. It's kind of strange. So he took my poems and rewrote them as short stories. And I took his his novel and some of his short stories and rewrote them as poems. And so that came out as kind of a dual collection together. And then, yeah, that brings us up to, to joy in 2020, whatever year this is, 2022. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 2022. It's pronounced just like 2022 as well. Okay. Yes. Mm. <laughs> Makes you think, doesn't it? <laughs> Only three more months to go. Yeah, yeah. Then yeah. we are, we got, we get rid of it. Your collection of poems. Um, to sum it up, I would say it's about life. It's about loss, but it never is bleak. Oh, that was at least my impression. What about yours, Teacup? I think it's there are some sad or dark uh, elements in there, oh. but overall, it's a. Uh, positive outlook on life and it's, it seems like um, showing events happen during one year and it starts with an um, I think it starts with a happy event, event and ends with an unhappy note so it's yeah it's, it's, it's positive a, it's a choice and it's, and it's joyful that was the goal <laughs> if and when we wake was really sad and I worried a little bit in the years that kind of followed what that was doing for people. Like, I guess I started thinking a lot. I guess when you're writing without an audience, you can just kind of write and not really work. You don't really think about what other people are going to think when they read it because you don't really picture anyone else ever reading it anyway. But after it came out, I started thinking like, what what was the purpose in doing that? Like, why did I do that to people? Did people get something out of it? Was there a hope that they could find or was it just sad for the sake of being sad? So I really wanted this book to be happy. Life tried to not <laughs> let it. But um, yeah, so there's definitely grief in there. There's definitely loss in there. Scott, who I worked with on my first two books, ultimately passed away. And so that is what a chunk of this book kind of takes on, like living through that and how we how we can kind of look for hope with what we have and how we pull ourselves out of those really desperate situations. Mm -hmm. But like she said, dear teacup, there's also, and you also now mentioned it, hope, because quite a few of your poems mm. mention 
your daughter. Yes. Or let's say she's on the way in the poems. And I would say that's also hope, isn't it? I mean, life, new life. Absolutely. Yes. I mean, this, this, that was what the book was supposed to be about. So she's almost, she's six and a half now. And I started this when my wife was pregnant. So it took me a really long time to write this book. But yeah, it was supposed to be this. Oh, here we have like the ultimate metaphor of hope. We have a baby coming, new life. Everything's going to be wonderful. And so I tried to hold on to that as, as tightly as I could as everything else unfolded as I started to write the book. But uh, yeah, so it starts with us finding out that we're going to have her and then moves all the way through and it ends with us finding out that we're pregnant again, which now we have a son as well. So there are kind of like bookends of life on either side of a lot of the, the pain that comes through in the book. There's also in the last part of the book, there's a poem, I think the poem I want to call Hope. And yes. it, it beautifully shows um, the cycle of life because there's this tree um, you think is dying, but then it blooms again. And there's so there's always hope and, and life and death are next to each other. It's a cycle. And so we can always um, hope for things to get better. That's the that's the goal. That tree's still that tree's right behind me. Um, okay. <laughs> Do we <laughs> yeah, know it? That was the that was the first poem that I was I wrote. I had I had stopped for a while after Scott passed and kind of felt like that was gonna be the end, that there wasn't really much I, I didn't really feel like there was a spot for this anymore. And then that tree thing happened where we thought it was coming down and then it just randomly bloomed later than I guess we expected. And yeah, that was like my kind of welcome back. You should probably try to keep doing this. And I called you, I called you an outdoor man in the introduction because it says uh, you, you and the family, you live in the woods. And you said, Teacup, the circle, the circle of life. I mean, it's also found in nature itself. I mean, nature is also a very important part in your poems. This whole winter and then we have spring again and everything blooms again. Is this also something that is important for you since you live where you live? Yeah, it is. It's interesting because I kind of do everything backwards. I'm a, I, we live here. There's a lot of nature happening around us and I'm a teacher. So you'd think that like everything, I'm kind of programmed to be a warm weather, summer, outdoor person, but I actually don't like summer very much. <laughs> um, I feel like the lack of structure gets me kind of crazy. I do love experiencing all of it here. You know, this is kind of my time of year, fall and the spring, but it is just kind of like living inside a giant symbol. You get to see everything come and go. You get to see how incredible each season is for its own special reasons. So it is a nice, it's, it's a nice way to help. As a writer, it's a nice place to be because it kind of gives you just unlimited inspiration. And the question also is, you are a poet. Most Authors want to become novelists. Why Why a poet? Oh, man, I, I don't have the attention span for a novel. <laughs> I would love, there is nothing like more romantic than being able to say, ah, oh, yes, I've written a novel, but I don't think I can do it. I'd really like to try. I'd, I'd love to try a collection of essays first, just to stretch my legs a little bit. But poetry has always been really interesting for me because it helps you communicate with people. I think novels are great for telling stories and helping us learn and helping us explore other people's lives. But the human experience is so strange. And I feel like poetry does such a great job of helping connect all of our strangenesses together that I just don't know. I mean, I'm, I guess the best novelists can still do, but it feels like a quicker mode of transfer with a poem. I, I want to explore this thing that we all collectively live through. And so here's like a little time bomb that I can give away in a poem um, that'll help convey that quicker. Mm -hmm. I also am a really big music person. And so I kind of always have that 
in my mind. And I, when I was a kid, I used to write songs and play guitar. And so that, I guess that kind of was the natural progression out. But I just do really love the connection that comes with poetry, that you can kind of help people understand how they're feeling about the same things that I'm trying to understand at the same time. Because music or songs are also, I mean, poetry just turned into music. Yeah, and it just carries so much meaning that still remains like intersubjective. Like there doesn't have to be a specific thing. Like in a novel, you're following the conflict and the rising action. And poetry is really more about just how can I help us all collectively understand life better? As you say, understand. I mean, your poems uh, can be understood. It's, let's say, pain language. Whereas, uh, some poems are quite daunting because you read them and then you ask yourself what's in it. It's hard, yeah. often hard to understand. Why is that? <laughs> I just don't think I'm as smart as those other writers. <laughs> 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 I think that there are writers that just do such an incredible job of, of doing all the things that I'm trying to do, but with such more intense and beautiful language. Kaba Akbar is one that jumps out immediately immediately to me as probably one that folks might think is, I mean, he's certainly more complex than I am as far as writing styles, but there's just always something about the simplicity that, that I love. Some of the, my favorite writers just are so the, the difficulty comes from the unpacking of the content, not the figuring out what the content is. And there's not really a right or wrong way. That's not to say that way is better, but I just really like the simple life. I like sitting outside and drinking coffee and writing poems that feel like I'm having a conversation with people. I think a lot of the way that I write has grown out of performing. My first book, first books were really short. Each poem was like a, a couple of lines each. And when I would perform them, you'd have to read like 30 of them to fill a set. And it was so, it didn't, it didn't feel like the live experience that I wanted to do. And I think that just automatically pushed me to write longer poems that I can have fun with when I'm up on stage performing them. And so I think the what I'm writing in joy is just a lot more conversational because when I'm on stage, I feels like I'm having a conversation with an audience. And that's just so much fun. You said there isn't a way of right or wrong. But what would you say would a poem need to really resonate with people or to really have power? I think that you should be able to feel a poem in your stomach. I think that when you read something, regardless of how complicated or how conversational or how long or how short, it ultimately should be reaching for something that helps pull us all a little bit closer together. And I, I think that it needs to have that connection to something more universal. Even if it's not necessarily the focus, the main point of the poem doesn't have to be let's connect it can be like i'm sitting here with this plant and i'm <laughs> i'm sad <laughs> i'm sitting here with this plant and i'm sad there's a new poem but if you do it the right way somebody should be able to read that and say like yes this person understands whatever this is happiness sadness grief joy and they've presented it to me in a way that i can feel like i'm experiencing it as well sort of that transformative power that all good i guess all good writing is supposed to aim for But I guess poetry aims a little bit, a little bit lower, more for the stomach. So you can experience it as if you're, I, I sometimes describe it to my students, like if you've ever been pulled over for speeding, as soon as there's a cop behind you, you get that feeling in your stomach. And when I tell other people about that, they can also, oh yeah, I know that feeling. And they, they get the feeling in their stomach because they're remembering a time when they saw the cop behind them and weren't sure if this was going to be their, their ticket day or not. Mm, so, sorry, Dickup. Uh, now that you mentioned this picture, 
I would have to say that it might be a different kind of feeling in your stomach for you over there in the United States than it would be for us here. I mean, I suppose, correct me if I'm wrong, please, that the feeling you have over there is in your stomach would be a feeling of fear, dread. Whereas here, we absolutely know it. <laughs> okay. So, yeah, it is. Di I mean, it's it's different. It's certainly different over here. And it's unfortunately even more different depending on who you are over here. Yeah. Um, yeah. That that can go anywhere from I can I can afford this ticket to, oh, this is going to be a really yeah. intense mm -hmm. issue for me. Yeah. So, I mean, I have a, a level of privilege in that sense. But yeah, I mean, nobody, regardless of who you are, nobody likes it. Um, True. And you can all kind of identify with the gut sink that yeah. happens when you think something you're about to have to pull over. Yeah. Um, and I think that is kind of what I want poetry mm -hmm. to do. When you read the poem, you should get that, whatever that feeling is supposed to be in your stomach mm -hmm. that I had. I lived through the thing that I'm writing about. And mm -hmm. I think that's what poetry does. It kind of helps us understand each other. It's kind of like a vehicle for empathy. I wanted to say that um, because poems are about feeling and I think it's easier to connect with people over feelings than over story because the feelings are more more intimate, more powerful. Absolutely. I mean, I've, stories are so important. They help us learn about each other. They help us kind of explore life. But ultimately, if something, if you experience something and you want someone else, like it, it poetry is so much more about let's feel, let's understand our feelings together. Whereas stories are, oh, you'll never believe this that happened to me. I don't need you to understand it. I just want to tell you this story because it's incredible. Poem is, you'll never believe this thing that happened to me. But if you, hopefully if I wrote this the right way, you can feel like I did. And would you say that we are currently in a time when poems are more needed, more important, maybe? I think that I read the same article like every two or three years that says like poetry is having its moment. And it almost feels like if we have to say that every two or three years, maybe it's just not going away, <laughs> which is nice. As much as I don't like social media, I do think that it's making our, it's helping more people connect with the type of writing that they like. So it's certainly poetry is a very social media friendly form. And so I think that there's more of it out there. People have access to it more so than they have in the past. And I think that as we grow so far away from each other and inside our little digital worlds, it is really nice to have poetry right now because it's so easy to forget how other people are feeling. When we're just kind of scrolling and really not interacting as our actual selves, it's so easy to forget that other people are experiencing the same things that we are. They all have our same fears. They all have our same hopes. And I guess poetry can be a really good humanizer in this world that feels like we're getting so disconnected. Is it more true, do you think, for the younger generation since you're a teacher? I guess, yeah. I mean, that's... Post-COVID world, it seems like in the schools, so many people are having a hard time having conversations like they used to. It's just so much more head down in our little worlds. So yeah, I mean, I think that helping young people find ways to connect to this greater thing is absolutely imperative. And now that we mentioned again that you're a teacher, there is this poem in your book called Curriculum, where you mentioned this uh, lesson you had about Buddhism. And before you even get to start this lesson, you had to read instructions about things that are completely, let's call it alien to us over here, because we never get those kind of instructions, how to react if there is a shooting accident or accident, a shooting situation. It doesn't happen. It doesn't happen. So what we get are, are fire drills and that's it. Oh, man. How nice must that be? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we do the fire drills and we do severe weather. 
And then we do active shooter, which, yeah, we have to come up with a, a bunch of different situations where there's an armed gunman in our building and we have to figure out what to do. Uh, do we evacuate? Are we on the other end of the building? Can we get out? Or is the person close enough to our room that we have to lock down? Yeah, we, we're having a, a gun violence epidemic over here. It seems like there's a lot of really easy, logical solutions that nobody's willing to do. So yeah, unfortunately, this is we, the first day of school this year. We said hello, we introduced ourselves, and then we ran right into an active shooter drill. So it's first day of school stuff these days oh. over in the States. Oh, does it feel strange in any way to do that? Or get, do you get used to it? I'm I don't think you get used to it because they change it every year. There's always something that they're telling us to try this this year. And they're always kind of I'm absurd. Like we watch videos with kids and every kid in the video has an apple that they're throwing at a person holding an AR-15 in the door. I mean, so we're, we're all asking like, where do we, are, are you handing out apples? What's happening here? And there's hooks that they installed for us to tie our belt loops around our belts around the door handles. And so it never gets, you never really get desensitized to it because it's always a different type of situation. It's just, I think if anything, it's more jarring for the students to have to walk them through these things every year as an English teacher, like as any teacher, you know, we're not, we're not, this isn't boot camp. this is high school. And so when we're supposed to be talking about essay structures and how to do research, we're taking breaks to talk about what happens if someone comes in with a gun. It, it, I mean, I, I can't, it, sorry, but I can't even imagine that because like I said, it doesn't happen here. I mean, all we get are drills for fire, fire alarm <laughs> drills. That's it. And we can't even imagine someone walking in and, and, and uh, pointing a gun at you as a student. That, that's never, that's never even, yeah. And, and I think it seems more strange or more powerful in the poem because yeah. this, this drill is yeah. embedded in a lesson about Buddhism yeah. it, because it's a really stark contrast. So it's. That is, yeah. That, I mean, that's a true story. That's something that we teach uh, with our Siddhartha unit. Um, and it, yeah, a lot of it feels really counterintuitive to what you're teaching Every time it happens, you know, we're in a humanities department and we're talking about taking care of each other and how do we learn from one another and what do we have to learn from different perspectives and also hang on, let's take a break and just prepare for this. So it, yeah, it's a jarring switch. Can imagine that. How hard is it then to find things that bring out joy? Because you wrote it in the in the in the preface of your book. It's it's not just about things that bring joy, but that bring out the joy where, where can you find them with your students after such an instruction oh it's it's so much about just talking or remembering that we're all people and we're all kind of sharing in on this um so i teach older students my kids are seniors in high school so they're just about ready to head off to college or uh -huh. into the world and so we're all kind of just dealing with the same things together so there's there's A, a much closer connection with them. Whereas like an elementary school teacher, you're very much like the authority figure and you are there to like help these little kids learn and walk them through elementary school. But there's like, if there's a problem, they turn to you. Mm. I think as a senior teacher, we're all very aware that like we're all living through these really large problems that there is no one person that's going to solve them. And so It's more about talking and kind of processing everything together as a class. And like the the instruction is way more, it's not one-sided. Mm -hmm. um, we spend a lot of time just discussing big concepts. And mm -hmm. so it it's nice in that I never have to feel like I'm bestowing down mm -hmm. some 
college. But it is tricky because you have kids asking questions like, you know, why does this stuff happen? Mm. I don't have an answer for that. And I also don't have a perfect answer how to stop it either. So it's a challenge, but it's it's it also feels nice that we're all kind of comfortable enough to have these conversations together. Mm. Is finding joy, does it also have to do with um, just stopping and let's say smell the roses? Like, Um, today. Get, get out of the yeah. hectic day and just look around. I think it, a lot of it is. I think we just, it's easy to forget. Like there's so much to do. We're all so busy. Um, and there's so much to like watch and feel upset about that it, we do forget a lot to stop. And so I think that writing for me is kind of like a form of meditation. It's me taking some time to force myself to look at the things that I think matter. And so that process is really helpful. I'm definitely in like the best moods that I can be in when I'm on a writing streak, because I think it makes me look at these things. You know, you're instead of focusing on the news or social media, just yeah. the do scrolling, it's like nice to just take a little time and retreat back and just write. The social media is also, I would say, a large competition, isn't it? I mean, especially with the younger generation. I mean, you said it's easier to share your, your, your art, but I would say it's also a very huge competition, isn't it? Um, Yeah, competition might not be. I, I mean, I guess it is. I have friends that are like social media, predominantly social media writers and mm. like they release books as well. But I mean, their their fan base is just locked into their posts. And so for them, that's just a really good way to write and release and their their readership loves it. I never really felt like I had the chops for a good social media campaign as a writer. I, my Maybe the old ones, but the new ones aren't short enough to fit on mm. a post. Um, so I would much I would much rather stick to the book format. But I guess it does it, it just like streaming, you know, like fewer people are going out and buying records because they can just listen to the song they want on Spotify. So, I mean, I guess there's that, but, but poetry readership is all, already so low <laughs> that it's just about the people that are going to buy it are going to buy it. And if, you know, somebody sees something online that helps them grab a book, it's helpful, but Yeah, I don't feel like there's fewer people buying hard copy books because they're scrolling Instagram. I think they're different groups. Mm -hmm. And is poetry something mostly read by a bit older people? Maybe something similar to jazz music? It seems like our readership is getting younger. My kids in my classes have like favorite poets that are new, like younger than me, very successful young writers. So I think that the online scene has made it possible. And then those kids are are kind of moving into the college world where it's more, it's easier to find someone giving a reading. Uh, you know, a lot of writers do college circuits for tours. And so when they can kind of find that spark, even if it's on Instagram uh, or Twitter or something where they find like, oh, I really love this. Uh, then they move out and they get a little older and then they realize that there's people that are going to bookstores near them that are reading. So I think that the method and the modes are changing a little bit, but it is helping bring in new people, which is really cool to see. And what about a poetry in the curriculum at school? I mean, we spoke about poetry in schools before we came on, on the show and thinking back, we didn't do much. Nope. Hardly anything. No, nobody does much. Uh, and the stuff they do is normally really old. Like the stuff that we read here, it's I mean, it's great. We read a lot of Emily Dickinson and like when you're younger, Robert Frost, some of like the old classics. And it's great, you know, it's but if you don't like poetry, it's brutal. 
And then you're normally working your way up to like Shakespeare. <laughs> and so like the message that we send is if you kind of like this and you work really hard, there's harder stuff to come. <laughs> so I don't think school does a great service to the poetry world just because I think that it's tricky because one, it's often hard to understand. Oh. And so there's that you you have teachers that might not love poetry that are now like getting stuck teaching poetry that they don't really use yet. And it also feels, I guess, like jazz. I love jazz. But if you're 14 and you don't know who you are and your teacher's like, let me let me put on something great for you. And it's, you know, John Coltrane. You're either going to love it, but you're most likely going to think like this sounds yeah. like an older thing that I'm not going to want to enter. So. Yeah, I think if we had stronger curriculum in schools, it would make it easier to build a better poetry community in this country. But it's we're all just we're all just scared. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it would also help here because. Yeah. But the thing is, in school, poems seem so and difficult mm. because the poems you read, you often don't really understand what mm. the writer wants to tell you or wants to tell. You. Mm. And in addition, there's the thing with hexameter and pentameter, so you don't know don't even know how you should read it and it makes it more difficult. Maybe it turns people away. So social media could bring people to poetry. Yes, and, and the fact that you always feel as if there's only one correct interpretation of a Yeah, poem. that's what teachers seem to tell you. Yeah, that's what the teachers seem to tell you. I, I've heard both. I've heard teachers say there's one interpretation and that's the one they figured out. And then I've heard teachers say it can mean whatever you want. And I feel like they're both wrong. I think that the <laughs> meaning that the writer meant when they sat down to write the poem, and that is the thing that they're hoping gets carried over to a reader. And then there's the way that we identify with it. And I think identifying something is different than discussing what something means, but we never explain that to students. I can hear this song. And it can remind me of meeting my wife. That doesn't make that what that's about. And when you asked me what that song's about, I shouldn't be able to say, I think it's about when I met my wife. And the <laughs> teacher should be able to say, sure. I think we can do a better job of reminding people that there's like the art and its purpose. And then they're what you take out of it. And they're both super important. But I think that we just have a hard time making that distinction. And so poetry just becomes so nuanced. It's also, I think, a money thing. Hmm. Like writing essays is just as difficult when you're a kid. You know, when your teacher says write a poem or write an essay, both of them are super challenging. And essays have a bunch of different parts that you have to remember where they what they are, where they're supposed to go. But the difference is, is an essay is kind of a gateway into higher education. It is something that you will probably use at work. And so we're more willing to say, try and keep going. Where is Whereas with a poem, I, I think we kind of just put it like we lump it in with all the other art forms and that we can't see how this could ever directly connect to something I'll be asked to do at work. And so what point in really digging in too deep. Let's just get through it. This is Shakespeare. You're not going to understand it. I'll tell you what I think it means. Then you're going to write something in iambic pentameter. And then we're going to call it a day. And then next week we'll get to the essay. And that's the thing that matters. Oh. So I guess we're still teaching for the market. <laughs> True. And is it also a question of meandering around or just getting to the point? So for kids, yeah, it absolutely is. I don't want to meander. I don't want to meditate. I don't want to, I don't want to stew on something like what's, what am I, what are you asking me to do? Yeah. And what is the quickest way that I can do that? So I teach creative writing and those kids are brilliant head in the clouds they want to spend their entire day writing poetry and, and stories and that's great but for my normal 12th grade classes it, it is very much like i'm not trying to get too deep 
I'd really just like to get the points for writing this thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I can imagine, yeah. <laughs> Do you sometimes think that regarding literature in any way, that the books are usually written for adults and it's difficult to teach these books, which are meant for more mature audiences, to teenagers, but you don't have any other time after school? Yeah, that's so it is really tough bridging that gap between literature and poetry that might be just out of reach but has the messaging that they need to be hearing right now and maybe will help them build the skills. So that's kind of like my job is to help them get across to like, this is probably just slightly harder than you would like it to be, but I can try and make it more accessible because I think what's underneath is more important. So that's really tough, but that's kind of like one of the top tier purposes of the job, I guess. There's a lot of young adult lit that has tons of really great stuff, but like that's more, I feel like we treat that like the after school stuff. Like if you, if you love doing this and you love what we're doing with these books, take them home and apply those skills to something that maybe you'd be more interested in reading. Do poets also have a favorite audience? Oh gosh. As far as like fan where? Or <laughs> you have fan that? base? Fan base? Maybe. I really like music fans. <laughs> uh, I've All the shows for this book have been paired up with musicians in different cities. And so we perform at the same time. There's music happening behind the reading and it's so cool. It feels, it almost feels like a concert. And those people that are like kind of willing to let their hair down and get a little, get a little loud at a show have been a lot of fun. Um, yeah, but I guess just as long as you're willing to just be open-minded about what you're about to experience, those are the most fun people. Because I don't think that the people that are coming to these, specifically the Joy Tour shows, know exactly what to expect. Like they like the band that's there. And so they'll give, they'll come check it out and give it a try. And then here's this poet performing with the band that they like. It's been going really well, but I think we all get up there and we're like, okay, just to be clear, nobody really understands what this is. We're just going to try and do it together. But they're fun. What was your best um, experience at the performance? Um, so I performed in Brooklyn, New York at a place called the Sketchbook Library. And it was when Please Plant This Book came out in early 18. And uh, it was kind of one of these shows. So I performed with Scott, uh, who had illustrated it. And I did a set of reading. And then he did a set of performing. And then we kind of did a Q&A at the end. And it was just really cool. We worked so hard on that book. And to have like that night where we got to fill up a room and just kind of do our thing for people was so much fun. That was the last time we got to do anything together because he passed away a few months after. So I always kind of remember that as mm. kind of felt like the crown achievement that we got to, we somehow made that happen. And when you perform, do you also include the audience afterwards? Like a discussion about your poems or such? Yeah, sometimes. Uh, it depends on the format. I, I love to let people ask questions. Sometimes we have shows that'll end with a Q&A and then sometimes I'll just kind of stand by the pile of books at the end and answer questions for people as they're walking out. But it is nice to get to hear people's questions, especially with poetry, because a lot of them have like, you know, what were you hoping for when I read this or what were you going through when you wrote this? So it's, it is cool to address those. Mm -hmm. And as we're talking about performing a lot in the written format, how important, uh, what this difference does it make, how the words are placed on the page? Because the, the lines are on full and sometimes they're words in the middle of the page. I don't know how important is that and how does it make it different than if it would be written in, in the normal format? That's a really hard question because I know how, I know what I'm doing and I know what I, like when I hit space and move words around, like I know what I'm aiming for. I don't know if that actually translates at all unless you hear it, but 
there's a leaning on the meditative part of the writing process. A lot of those little gaps and spaces are like breaths. And so they're there for people to kind of move intentionally from one line to the next. So they'll create a little bit of a pause. And I think in that pause is like, they're not, I mean, nobody's stopping to reflect between words, but they're just, it's a chance to take a breath and kind of feel yourself for a second before you move into the next one. Sometimes they're written just as I would speak them when I perform. And so some of those line breaks are intentionally set up that way. Some of them kind of mess up how I perform. So sometimes I have to like read things differently than I wrote it because it looks better and it achieves it better on the page. But when I say it, I can't pause the way that I want to. So there's a little bit of change that happens between the page and when I'm reading. But yeah, so it's all about just comp- slowing people down generally. And would you say that poems should be read out loud all the time, maybe by the reader, unlike a novel? for example? I don't think they have to be. I think you always need to read scripts out loud. Plays are meant to be heard and seen, not read. Um, but I think there's a lot of poetry that I write and that just exists that is okay for just quiet in your head, read curled up with a blanket. You know, it's just very it's like self-care hmm. type reading. I have poems that are written specifically for me to perform. Like I, there's, there's definitely poems that enjoy that work better when I'm reading them. But I think the majority of them can be mm-hmm. read quietly sitting somewhere. I don't think it has to be out loud. Mm-hmm. Some people write incredible poems that really can't be read that like you're, there's a lot lost when you don't hear the poet do them live or recorded, but I don't, my poems can, you can just read them quietly. <laughs> I don't, I don't, uh, I guess I don't have the command that some of those spoken word poets do. Uh, that makes it so in, it necessary to to hear them. Which which also brings me to the question: What about like you mentioned, some poems need need to be read out loud. What about then um, audio versions of collections of poetry? I mean, with novels, it's the thing. It's like the moment. Like an audiobook. Yeah, like an audiobook. I love audiobooks of poetry because I think it. You don't necessarily need to hear the poet do it, but if you can, that's awesome. Just because you get to hear all the little inflections that they intended and you get to hear what their version of that pause felt like. I think it can be really cool to read the book and then listen to it. Uh, you kind of get to see, it's almost like... Um, Does it get a new meaning then for you, do you think? Sometimes. I think sometimes it can. Uh, a, a friend of mine is in a band and they, before their albums come out, they do this fun thing where they release the lyrics and the chords that go along with it. But people haven't heard it. So they just get to try and get their own guitar and figure out what what does this sound like? And so then the album comes out and they get to see, oh, wow, I was really close or I was way off or my version sounded like something completely different. And I guess an audiobook lets you have that same experience with a poem. You can read a book of poetry yourself and kind of feel it and hear it and figure out what you think it's supposed to be. But then you listen to the the writer read it and sometimes you're like, oh, wow. They really leaned into that idea at the end there, and it sounded incredible when they did it. So I think it. I think there's a lot to it. Hmm. Um, yeah, I haven't made one. I, I haven't done a full collection yet, but I've done some spoken word recordings, mm-hmm. and it is nice to mm-hmm. to get to like send that off. Like you're going to hear it exactly as I intended it. It's pretty. Cool. Are you more concentrated while you listen to a poet reading, or unlike unlike uh, with a novel, for example? No. <laughs> <laughs> I think when I read the thing, I'm really focusing on what's happening mm-hmm. and what's there to dig out. Mm-hmm. When I'm listening to someone read it, 
it's more about the performance. Mm-hmm. So like you get to kind of bask in them doing their thing. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm, I'm looking at everything from like body language to how you're saying things, where your inflection goes. Like, but I think I'm focusing more on the performance elements than the meaning behind it, maybe. Mm-hmm. So when I read it's meaning, but when mm-hmm. I listen or watch, it's let me see the whole thing. I mm-hmm. guess it's like you get taken to a concert of a band that you've never been to, that you've never heard before. You're probably not pulling out too much lyrical content while you're watching them perform, but you're still really enjoying the performance. Like there's a lot of other things that you're focusing on. Yeah. So I think it kind of works the same way. Okay. I'm, I'm just asking you because I'm not the audio type of of person because I can't I can't concentrate. I mean a lot of people listen to audiobooks while they drive or while they clean. Yeah. I can't do that because I have to concentrate. Uh, I would I would mm. miss a lot of things. Yeah. So. I don't like them as primary modes. Like I would I'm I'm not the type of person that grabs an audiobook of something I've never read before. But I do like if it's the writer doing it, I do oh. like here kind of like a like a companion piece. I mm-hmm. think that's useful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And do you have, I mean, uh, we're asking all our guests this question, so I'm also asking you this question. I've got another question. For another you. question before that one. Sorry, dear listeners. Uh, Sorry, teacup. How you go about yeah. writing the book? Because if it's a novel, you know, okay, you want to tell the story. But if it's a book of poems, do you just collect the poems you have already written? Or do you set up, okay, I'm going to write poems regarding as a certain subject or how does do you go about that kind of a nightmare uh they (laughs) they they pop out when they want to pop out and so like i i guess joy took about six years to write and so i i knew there were things that i wanted to write about i was really interested in covering the life change of having a kid ended up writing about a lot of other things too um and but what happens is i guess you you hit a point where there's a lot of poems in a folder And it feels like it might be a fun activity to put them all on one word document and see like, what does this look like? And then once you're there, once there's like a 60 page word document, you move stuff around and then you, you like look for the gaps. And then once, once the gaps are identified, it's all, I, I have a hard time writing intentionally. Like I have a hard time saying, okay, I need a poem about this because we went from here to here and there's nothing in the middle. I have a hard time doing that. But I think when I identify that there is an open there that needs to get filled, it'll eventually come out. Uh, so I, I do kind of follow a little bit of a narrative arc when I write. And oddly enough, if you line all the books up in the right order, it just does one giant narrative arc. But it's that's the kind of the last 25% of the process. The first 75% is just, I'm writing and I don't know what this is. <laughs> It's a standalone thing I'll submit to a magazine, but that's where it's going to, that's it. And then maybe a couple years later, you start to see, oh, well, that did kind of go with that thing I wrote after it. And I guess that all kind of connects to the thing I'm writing now. And then you have a book. Sounds easy somehow. (laughs) (laughs) So so torturous. The last two sentences, yeah. Okay. So now that makes my question even more important, the one I wanted to ask before that. What would be your advice for the poets out there? Uh, Write a lot. Read a lot. I think that's really important. And I guess just keep your head up and your eyes open. I think writing fiction is all about coming up with the perfect idea or a great idea that could get twisted into something perfect. But poetry is just about conveying life experiences. And so I, for me at least, it's important that I get out of the house and I go do things. I'm able to write a lot about strange experiences that I have when I'm doing mundane things. There's a poem in Joy called Vixen that's about finding 
a dead fox inside our composter. <laughs> yeah, that was a really diff- emotionally challenging day, but there's there was a poem that fell out of that. So I think it's kind of it's it's not focusing on writing poetry as much as it's focusing on really living the experiences that you're living and then coming home processing it and trying to write something down. And do you always have a have a notebook with you? I you know, I can't my handwriting's garbage and <laughs> I so it's it's a lot of notepad on my phone. I write everything in notes. Okay. And then when I have like editing days, I transfer them from the notes to like Google Docs. Okay. And then start on there. I hate how digital it is. It's so <laughs> not romantic. My first book, I spoke a lot of it into my voice memos while I was driving to and from work. Hmm. And so that's how a lot of them came out. But with joy, because they're longer, I can't really do that. So it's mm-hmm. it's just kind of typing out ideas real quick when I have them. And then taking some intentional time to try and expand the ideas. And then some different intentional time at trying to kind of weave them into something worthwhile. And what are your future plans? Can you share them with us and our audience? What's in the making? We're finishing up the summer tour. (laughs) Uh, One of our venues caught on fire and we had to cancel a show and move it. So uh, I'll be up in Brooklyn on October, nope, September 30th with Evan Stevens Hall from Pine Grove sort of perform together. And then uh, on October 5th, I'm performing in Philly with Scotland's Michael Peterson um, over here on tour for his book, Boyfriends. After that, I'm hoping to put on a few more of these shows throughout the winter into the spring. And then I'm going to take a little bit of a break and try and write something new. I haven't really been writing a lot recently because it's the focus has all been on putting together tours stops and I'm loving that. So I just kind of want to live that for as much as I can. And then when that when that comes to a final close, I guess I'm just going to try and write again. One last question. You you don't have to answer that, of course, but uh, mental health awareness is very close to your heart. How much involved are you in getting more awareness of this kind of problem? Oh, so I try and do a few things every year that will help fundraise for it. So Please Plant This Book was completely for the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. At the end of 2019, uh, a few friends and I released a record um, of vinyl called All Is Not Lost that raises money for Tiny Changes, which is a youth mental health charity in Scotland. And every year I try and do something that will fundraise for one of those two charities. They're both really important to me. But I'm also a crisis counselor at work. Uh, so I, I help out with students that are in crisis at school. And I think just talking about it, it shows, you know, my experience with anxiety, my experience with uh, medication and then how helpful that can be. Just, you know, so much of this is about normalizing it by just talking about it. Everybody has this. The more people I talk to, the more people I meet that are on medicine and are going to therapy and are feeling great because most of those things can be so helpful. But I don't, I mean, not, I don't know what it's like where you are, but here there's still like a a kind of weird, embarrassing embarrassment that comes along with it, especially for men. Everybody's, everybody's scared to be like vulnerable and admit that they don't feel great mentally all the time. And so I just try and talk about it as much as I can. I write about it when I can, because it's just all about kind of normalizing that behavior. Yeah, I don't think it's much different here. Yeah, probably. It's pretty global. Yeah, it's pretty the same. Yeah, yeah, I would say so, yeah. So, Fran, is there anything else you would like our listeners to know you would like to share? Oh, gosh. Um, I don't know. It's beautiful. Go... uh, just go do something outside. <laughs> just, yeah, go get out there and 
feel yourself out there. It's, it's, it's wonderful. And maybe even try to write a poem. Yeah, go out and write a poem. Read a poem, write a poem. Write a poem that you don't really like and then send it to somebody that you love. <laughs> <laughs> Why not? Yeah. See, not just shopping lists, my dear. <laughs> <laughs> Someone has to do that. Yeah, that's, that's, that, that's also very true indeed. You also, have to eat. Yep. So unromantic, isn't it? Hmm. <laughs> indeed. So, Fred, thank you very much for joining us. It was a great pleasure talking to you. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. You're most welcome. I mean, it was an interesting experience, like we said, our first poet on the show. tell you, you made me curious to try oh. and read more poetry. Good. Yep. Good. There's a lot of great stuff out there. Yep. You gotta find your your niche. Absolutely. Because we, I have to admit as well, I've always been a bit anxious about poetry. I think I've got two poetry books, but I haven't read others. I'm going <laughs> to get them out no. of my pile. <laughs> now is the time. Why not now? Better yeah. now. Just don't let them collect dust. Yes. For any longer. Give it a try. <laughs> I'll do it. <laughs> you can do that. We will do that. Of course. So thank you again. It was wonderful. And I would say enjoy your wonderful outdoors. Thank you. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Have a great weekend. Thanks. You as well. Thank you. You did enjoy this episode as much as we did. Then hit subscribe and don't miss the next episode. Also, make sure to follow us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. If you like to support us and buy us a coffee, you can do so via Buy Me Coffee and other platforms. You can find all the necessary links in the description. Until next time.